I am so glad to be here with you. I love this church. I love getting to spend time with Pastor Mike and the leaders and the staff here. Uh, what a great opportunity we get to, to do this stuff together. Pastor Mike told me that, uh, that he had been talking about discipleship and growing in Christ uh, and how sharing the gospel goes with that. And I'm not going to put you guys to the test this morning, um, but think about this question. Uh, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We can we could probably go person by person, row by row, and we could get a different definition for it. Each of us would share something basically like we would hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to where Jesus, according to the scriptures, lived a perfect life. He uh, died on a cross as a substitution for us. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again on the third day uh, through the power of God. God accepted the sacrifice that was made for your sin and for mine, for your stuff and for mine. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he showed that he was who he said he was. He showed that God accepted what he had given as that sacrifice and that anybody who puts their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and the work that he did can have eternal life in a relationship with God. Uh, those are the basics that it talks about there in that 1 Corinthians 15 and that we see in the Gospels. And each of us could articulate that and say that a different way. But this morning, I want to I give us uh, a common way to be able to share that stuff, okay? A common way to be able to share the gospel or the good news. But first, I want to read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In the past couple of years, 2 Corinthians has become one of, those, one of those pivotal passages in my life. It's such a good reminder with so many different things in following Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. Um, let's see, beginning verse 6, I'm going to read a couple sections out of here, and then I'm going to go on to this uh, fun, interactive uh, event that we're going to do together, okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 6, it says, So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, we're confident, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore... Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. Isn't that cool? It's, it's our goal, it's our aim to be well-pleasing to him. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John that he only did the things that pleased the Father. Oh, that that could be said about us, right? It says, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be repaid for what he has done, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Uh, Paul is, is making this argument. We know judgment's coming, and, and we don't want anybody to, to go to hell. We don't want anybody to suffer re, uh, rejection or being away from God for forever. Verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, for if one died for all, then all died. So he died for those that who, who would live no longer for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So not only do we want to please God with our lives, we want to do that, right? And we know the judgment of the Lord is coming. We're pushed on because we don't want anybody bad stuff to happen to them. And the love of Christ compels us to push out of our comfort zone, to push out of our safety, to push out, out of the things that, that, for me, it's L-A-Z-Y. I ain't got no alibi. That's an old cheer. Sorry, came to mind. 
I ain't got no alibi. I'm lazy. And I can do that. I can stay in lazy town for myself, not putting the expectation on anybody else, but my own definition of lazy. I could could stay right here. And yet, because I know bad things are going to happen to people and the love of Christ that he gave me pushes me on, it motivates me. I want to be in all things, whether I'm absent from the body or present with the Lord. I want to be well pleasing to him. The, the judgment that's coming and the love of Christ compels me to, to reach out and tell people. So it says, uh, verse 17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Most of us have heard that, right? Old things have passed away. All things become new. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us. Who's included in us? Anybody? Is it, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was sort of a given, right? That includes you if you're a Jesus follower. That's the us part. You could circle that in your Bible if you wanted. Therefore, if anyone, oh, verse 18. Everything's from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we our ambassadors for Christ, not just the pastor guy, the hired gun, not just, you know, the extrovert. We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making this appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the, the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says to you at an accepted time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. And circle this one. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul talking to the people at Corinth, probably in this, the second letter, but we know from church history, he probably sent them three or four letters. He refers to them a little bit in both of these. At least four times and for three years, he spent time with the people of Corinth, encouraging them, strengthening them, giving them the words and living it out in front of them to say, this is what the gospel looks like in my life. This is what the gospel sounds like in my voice. And these are the things that we need to do. We collectively sharing the good news of Jesus with every man, woman, boy and girl, hoping as as uh, Peter says, it's God's will that none come, none perish, but all come to repentance. So I'm thinking As a pastor guy, according to Ephesians chapter 4, it is my job to help equip you to do your stuff, right? You know I'm going to ask you to do something now, right? Yes, that's sort of built in. Okay, and you have, everybody has an index card, right? Front to back, you got an index card. This is going to be so much fun. Some of you are going to really love me and some of you are really not by the end of this. And uh, uh, send your complaints or whatever to Mike at crosspointcommunitychurch.org. <laughs> I don't know if that's his email. I just thought that was fun. Okay, so you have, a, you have a card with you, right? And hopefully there's a pen in the chair in front of you. Uh, I'm going to have you write in your own handwriting this outline for G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel, okay? And what I want you to do, I want you to be able to see this in your own handwriting. And as we know from neuroscience, that there's a connection between the brain and the hand. And when you actually write out stuff, there is more of a likelihood for motor memory and more, um, more brain material to go with you writing it out yourself. I could have given this to you in a pre-printed card, but where's the fun in that? 
right? Okay, you have an index card. We're going to do this together. I, um, the, the word gospel is an interesting word. It comes from two, two Greek uh, sections, euangelion, eu meaning good, like for Europe, right? That, that's supposed to be good, or a eulogy is a good word. The euangelion is good news. The word angelion is, um, is message, right? We get the word angel from it. The angel is a messenger. So euangelion is good news. We saw um, in the Anglo-Saxon stuff in the progression of that word, they called it God's spell, which was the, this story about God. It was, it was basically the gospel that we know it, right? So this gospel is good news. How would it be for you if someone were telling you good news and they looked like this? It's how most, many of us in church do, right? We look like we've been dipped in vinegar or soaked in lemon juice or something, and we try to tell people about this great and wonderful thing that God has done in our lives, and, and, and we look like, you know, a dog died or something. It, it, it's bad. This is good news, okay? So at the top of your card, I want you to write a G in the beginning of this gospel, and looking on the screen, you'll see the rest of the words here. That God created us to be with him. I want you to write that down on one line. God created us to be with him. And you can write those Bible verses next to it. Psalm 100 verse 3. And basically Genesis 1 and 2. It's the beginning story. It's the, the beginning meta narrative. It's, it's the beginning of all of time, space, and history for us. That Psalm 100 is a great passage. It says... For we know that uh, it is he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It, it's a reference going back to that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where God created everyone. He breathed out and it was. It's sort of this, I always like to say, it's this quantum connection between energy and matter, right? I lost some of you right there. Okay, when I said quantum. When God spoke the, the energy that God is, the power that he has, he spoke matter into existence, right? He was standing on nothing and he spoke and there was stuff. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it says God created the heavens and the earth. He created them out of nothing. And then we see that he created man and they restate the story in chapter 2. And you see specifically how he took man and he made Adam and Eve, right? The Adam and Eve in, in that passage. What a powerful thing. And, and here, here's the, the stuff for us. That our connection with existence is that there was a God who created us. And someplace in there, we know in the back of our minds that we're accountable to the one who created us. Here's the interesting line with that. People, I've heard people say through the years, and there was a popular guy at the beginning of the 1900s used to say, we are all God's children. They almost say it like that, right? We're all God's children. And, and folks, no. We're not all God's children. According to the scriptures, we are all God's creation, created in his image, right? And in the Imago Dei, the image of God, we're created in his image. We're all his creation, but only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are his children. He adopts us as his children. John 1.14, it says he gave the authority, the exousia, the right to become the children of God for those who put their belief and trust in him. So what we know for everybody on the planet and anyone who ever lived, that they are God's creation and God created us to be with him. Now, here's the interactive part. I want you to say either to somebody sitting next to you 
um, or find somebody, you need to share that line. I want you to say it out loud. Rick, you're so forceful. Yes, if, if I get you saying it out loud, you, you hear it in your own voice, you're reminded of it, you're more likely to share it someplace else. And this is a safe space, right? This is a, sa a, a, a safe space to, to do difficult things. <laughs> you introverts are going to hate me, and, and we can talk later. Just come up one at, at a time. Okay, so God created us to be with him. If you would, stand up and find two people either sitting next to you or find two people to say that line. Both of you need to say that. Now, I have already noticed that some people stayed stationary and other, those of us who are extroverts, I've been told that I could sell ketchup popsicles to a woman wearing white gloves, okay? Um, those of us who are extroverts, take it easy, help the, those who are a little more introverted. Actually, I, I just downloaded a book on my Kindle that's uh, the, uh, the Science of Introverts, because I don't, I don't understand. And so there's, it talks about the physiological and psychological and uh, social differences between introverts and extroverts, brain chemistry and everything else. Uh, some of you may not even know this, but introverts have such a high level of processing stimuli around them that, that it can almost, after a while, shut them down. When they, when they interact with too many people, like what I'm making you do today, they might need a nap <laughs> or vacation or something. So I'm taking up all your people time today, but introverts, thank you. I love you. Thanks. Okay, so extroverts help them out, go to, to them if they're, you know, sitting by themselves and uh, help take the uh, sting out of this uh, exercise for them, okay? All right, the second part. Oh, our sins separate us from God. God is a holy being, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy. When we were kids, my mom had a, uh, we had the living room, uh, or, or the family room that all of us could play in, we watched TV, and then there was a, almost like a secret room in the front of the house that was called the living room that only guests got to come to. And it was white furniture, and it was covered with plastic seat covers. And me and my rambunctious brothers were not supposed to go into the, you know, to the living room, or the, the yeah, that room. It was, it was set apart. We, we could look into it. And hopefully our dirty selves wouldn't get all over the furniture or whatever. It was set apart for something else. <laughs> and it wasn't set apart for us. Okay. So this idea of being set apart has a, has a spiritual understanding to it. The word being holy means set apart or set apart for a purpose. And most of the time those things that were holy were clean and cleansed and all that kind of stuff. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, the, uh, the way the sacrificial system worked, you had three designations. You had unclean. You had clean, and you had holy. Unclean was a whole bunch of stuff, and there's a big lists, right? And you went through rituals or processes or cleansing to go from unclean to clean. But there were special things that you had to go through to go from being clean to being holy and set apart for a purpose. 
The God of the universe is holy. There's no sin in him. Jesus, when he lived here as a man, there was no sin in him. And because of that, God, God does not look or, or get close to sin. And, and you know what sin is? Sin is this biblical idea, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, of taking an arrow and shooting it at the target and missing the target. There is this concept, this idea that there is a perfect standard and you and I ain't it. Uh, no matter how good you think you are, smart you are, how much better than other people you might be, you, we have God's absolute standard and you and I have missed the mark. We're not perfect. Uh, I, 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 I know that every day. The Bible verse that goes with that is Romans 3.23. The second one is Romans 6.23 and then Genesis 3. Romans 3.23 uh, the, it's, uh, there's not, uh, Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve, they willfully sinned against God. They broke fellowship with him, and anytime sin, when sin entered the world, it caused a division, a separation. I think it even says in Psalms, when I hold or cherish iniquity or sin in my heart, uh, you will not hear me. Wow. Sin's a big deal. It says in the scriptures that sin can only be removed. There's no um, forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And when Jesus, Jesus shed his blood for us, but God takes sin seriously. You feel the weight of that? Okay, did you write all that down? God created us to be with him. Our sins separated us from God. Let's say both of those. Say them with me. One, two, three. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. I did that sort of choppy, didn't I? All right. I want you to do it more fluid. Stand up. Find two people. You can do the same ones if you want. But find two people. Do both lines. God created us to be with him, and our sins separate us from God. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. You guys are doing such a good job. Such a good job. I'm so proud of you. You extroverts, stop talking so much. <laughs> That's amen or on me. That was, yeah, that was me. Because I get, I was like, people, it's people, it's people, yeah. I, I did this personality test one time. Yes, I found out first I did have a personality. Um, and second, uh, in the personality test, the, the description was, the larger the crowd, the louder he gets. And I was like, they know me. <laughs> Sorry, it's just free. Okay, the third one, S. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. 
So many of us think, and, and whether it's in Norse tradition or mankind as a whole forever and ever and ever, they think if my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff, I'm in, right? Uh, our, our southern stoicism, our southern idea of how people get to heaven, it, it goes something like this. Well, I ain't killed nobody. I'm a good person. Give people a shirt off my back. I work hard. Don't ask people for nothing. That's, that's a southern way of thinking of a universalism that everybody's going to heaven. That, hey, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm better than my neighbor. I'll show you I'm better than my neighbor. I'll work harder than them. And when they need something, I'll give it to them. And when I need something, I don't ask for anything because I got it. What a crazy way we live, right? Uh, the understanding for sin, sin is that missing the mark. The payment for sin is death. That you're going to have to, you and I will have to give an account for our own sin. That's what Paul was talking about there in that first, uh, second Corinthians five. And it can't be removed by being a good person, helping, you know, as a boy scout, some, somebody across the street, visiting the, the sick and the poor, while all of those things are good and necessary and important. An expression of our Christianity is take care of widows and orphans in their distress and keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what it says in James. <clears throat> so this idea of sin, I can't pay for it. I can't know enough. I can't, I, I can't have somebody you know, you know, go around the side and, and I pay them to take care of it. The only payment for sin is death. It's paid for by blood. And Jesus was the only one who could pay that. I, I, I couldn't pay it myself. There's no way. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6, Titus 3, 5, and really that Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, it, it is basically the rest of the Old Testament where people try to make up their own systems and their own stuff to get to God. And then God gives his story of redemption. It's not just history, it's his story. And we go from the beginning of time to the end of the, uh, the, the book of Malachi, end of the Old Testament. And God starts to reveal the way he's going to take care of this sin issue, the separation between mankind and him, and reconcile us and bring us back to God. But you can't pay for sin yourself. It says Titus 3, 5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's we are sanctified by his spirit. You read that whole, go back and read Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. If you go back and read those things, it, it's, it's the idea, specifically in chapter 4, where Paul is writing, he says, Abraham doesn't get into heaven because he did good, did good works. He gets into heaven because he put his faith and trust in God. David, David is called a, a man after God's own heart, but David doesn't get to go to heaven because of his own stuff. David put his faith and trust in God. Read, read that chapter 4. But what we see from the scriptures, you can't pay for your own sin. You can't work hard enough to do it. Wow. Again, what a heavy thought. Don't, don't we all feel the disquieted in, our, in ourselves? Like, you know, something's just not right. Sometimes we can't put our finger on it. Maybe we have every relationship we ever wanted, or we have every job we ever thought, or, or every toy, or every, or every material possession. We have everything we ever wanted. We go to every vacation we ever wanted. We have everything. And the people who hit the pinnacle of all those things still get to the top, and there's something missing on the inside. We climb the corporate ladder, and when we get to the top, we find out that it's up against the wrong building. Because what we want is satisfaction and the uh taken care of in us. And that is an angst that God has put in there that only can be filled by him and ultimately will only be filled by being in relationship with him. Wow. 
and you can't pay for your own sin uh, except by death and blood. Sins can't be paid for. You can't get into heaven by, by doing good things, by being a good Boy Scout. You can't do it. So say that line with me. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. All right, you ready? You're going to hate me, I know. Everybody stand up. With two people, share the three lines. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God, and sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Make sure everybody gets talked to. By the time we finish this, you will have been able to, you will have shared this multiple times because what I'm trying to get you to understand or get you to do is to have this be something easy that comes out of your mouth so that when you share it with somebody else, it's not just something I memorized, but I know this is a part of my own story, right? I share my story and then I share God's story and they go together. It's a story of redemption. I'm so grateful for it. So that's why I want you to keep repeating this, and eventually it comes out in your own voice, right? <clears throat> it's interesting reading the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul shared his testimony in the book that we have recorded four different times. And each time that he shared it, it's slightly different. He, he tells a little bit to, uh, different uh, the first time and the second time, and then to Felix and then to Festus, the leaders, uh, the Roman leaders and the officials that he shared his story with. Each time just a little different, but it was personal and meaningful, and he pointed people to Jesus, okay? When you have God conversations with people, it may come out a little differently every time, and it, it doesn't have, it's not that we have to have perfection in how we share this stuff, but people, they don't just need a list, they need to hear that the God of the universe is real, and, and how, what that did to you. Um, and we also need to have something like this to be a reminder to us that we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves daily as a reminder. Man, I, I'm in this. I, I'm, uh, God has done these things. Um, the average millionaire uh, looks at his mission statement, his purpose stuff, at least once a day. The average billionaire, I guess Elon Musk would probably do more than that, but the average billionaire looks at his stuff at least three times a day. For us as Jesus followers, no matter how much money you have, what a cool thing to remind you and give you perspective before you start the day to, you know, some of us, you know, <laughs> I always thought it was silly, right? Looking in the mirror and giving yourself affirmations. You are awesome. You're victorious. You're a winner. Well, yeah, and? No, I'm kidding. Um, what about giving us the reminders? Hey, God created us to be with him. What a reminder for that. Our sins separate us from God. Man, I know my own stuff. Sins can't be removed, paid for, a, a propitiation for them. 
that you can't satisfy God's wrath just by doing good stuff. What a reminder of grace even built into that. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Wow. So what's the basis of my relationship with Jesus? It's faith and trust and hope. All right. So hit the next one. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. That's the only one that has that rhythmic cadence to it, right? Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made, I memorized it in this version, God made him who knew no sin be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That God, the weight of the world it says, 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ once suffered for sin. Um, the, the sin, all sin, all sin of time and space and history. Uh, for Christ once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Jesus, when he hung between heaven and earth, he was paying for your sin and for mine. He was paying for the sins of all of humanity for all of time. Imagine the weight of the sins of everyone who's ever lived to be placed on Jesus. And for him and his perfection, he did nothing wrong, yet he took your place and he took my place. He satisfied the anger and wrath of God towards sin in one person. Wow. So when I watch The Passion of the Christ, even though framed just a little interesting at times, <coughs> when I watch that, I can't help but be moved to tears to know that Jesus paid for my sin. He paid, he paid for me. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I, I, I deserve judgment in hell and death forever. But Jesus loved me enough that he paid for my sin, my junk. I don't have to go to hell without him. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Romans 5, 8, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And that Matthew through Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic or the, those three gospels tell a lot of the same stories. But the kicker is that it walks through how Jesus, what he said and what he did. Okay, how powerful uh, those gospels are. And Jesus paid it. If you're wondering, why would Jesus do this? It says in Hebrews, it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Who is the joy before him? It, it, it was you. Jesus wanted to reconcile you to the Father, and he was willing to give his own life to do it, even if there was no other person ever in existence but you. Wow. Okay, say the four with me. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. All right, stand up. Share. Because sharing is caring.
You guys are doing so well. We're almost done. Can you believe it? <clears throat> We're almost finished. G-O-S-P-E. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And if I were you, there, there are two, two things uh, to circle. The first one, everyone who trusts, I would circle trust. And the second part, alone. Him alone. I would circle those. John 3.16, fa our famous uh, football game verse, right, that they'd put up in the end zones for years and all that. You guys know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, you know, if we memorize it in King James, that's how we did it. Uh, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life or everlasting life. Okay? The reason I have you circle the word trust, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word used for trust is, um, is the word pistis, which means to believe uh, or to trust. And I really like the translation trust better because I can believe a lot of stuff, right? Uh, the book of James says that demons believe in God and they tremble. But there are a lot of people these days, yeah, I believe in God, but he's not my boss. And so I, I put it like that usually when I'm talking to normal people. Have you made Jesus your boss? Have you put your trust in him? Is, is he in charge of your life? Because it's a different thing to know about him and to know him. I could see somebody, if I were sitting out in front of this, this building every morning, if a, a guy went jogging every morning, I could describe him to you. He wears these kind of shoes. He wears these shorts, this kind of shirt. Sometimes he wears a headband. Why? I don't know. But he wears a hat sometimes or whatever. And so this guy runs. And I could give you a general description, but I don't know him. And if I went up and talked to him and, and, uh, and took him to Slopes for barbecue for lunch or something, then I could sit down and talk, I'd get to know him. There's a difference. There are a lot of people that have passed by God or run into Jesus at church. Uh, they know who he is. They know, hey, Jesus is the son of God. But there's a difference between knowing about him and putting your trust in him. There's a big difference. And there's a lot of people who've been in and around or sort of know about God, who when Jesus comes or we go to see him, he'll say, depart from me into everlasting darkness. I, I, I never knew you. What a sad thing. John 3, 16. Then that, go back and read that Romans 3, 21 through 25, because it goes through some of those technical things of being declared righteous by putting your faith, trust, and hope in Jesus. You're all in. It's everything. Everything's on the table. It's not that I held a bunch back following Jesus. It's like if I, I'm going to trust him. And the second word is just as powerful, not just trust, but the second one is trusting him in him alone. There are a lot of people that, hey, I, I trust in Jesus plus my effort or Jesus plus, you know, what I know or Jesus because I'm in the right fam plus that and my, I'm in the right family. You ever had somebody tell you, hey, you, you go to church someplace? Well, my grandfather was a pastor. My grandfather was a preacher. Hey, I had an uncle who was a deacon. When we lived in St. Louis, uh, there, we had a lot of friends who went to Catholic Church. And it was amazing how many of them had an uncle or somebody related to him. Yeah, my uncle's a priest. And, and I'm like, that doesn't help you out at all. You know, Jesus does or God does not have grandchildren. There's no second generation kind of thing. You're either his child or you're not. And, and if you put your trust in something different than Jesus, you're, you're not going to heaven. 
right? If I trust in Jesus plus my religion or my religiosity, that doesn't do it. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, man, if it comes to religion, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was in the right family. If it came to zeal, I was blameless. But I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, sharing the fellowship of his sufferings. Everything that I've done is, is, is garbage. So what a powerful thing. <coughs> Everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. All right? I want you to stand up and I want you to share the five things with two people. The five things. One, two, three, four, five. G-O-S-P-E. Almost done. Almost. You guys have done a great job. You, I tell people often in church, the faster you listen, the faster you know we'll be done. <laughs> it may be true. Maybe I heard it. I don't know if that's really accurate, but <clears throat> thank you guys so much for working on this. Here's the last one. Go ahead and do the G O S P E L. Life forever with Jesus, or life forever with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It says in John 17, 3, it says this. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This eternal life. Think about this, folks. For those of us who put our faith and trust and hope in Jesus, we have a relationship with him. We are adopted as his children. Our sins are forgiven. For those of us who have done that, this is as close to hell as we will ever get close to hell as we ever get. For those who have not accepted Jesus, have not put their trust, this is as close to heaven as they will ever get. Because once we step out into eternity, either I die or, I, or Jesus comes, one way or another, I'm going to be in his presence, right? At the end of my days, whether they are brought upon me, something, whatever happens, for those who have put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus, you will be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord but for those who do not put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus, this is as close to happiness and as close to heaven as they will ever get. They will spend an eternity in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And that angst that they felt in their chest their whole life, wanting to be fulfilled and satisfied and ultimately really connected with the God of the universe, because Augustine says that we have a God-shaped hole in us that only God can fill. When, when someone goes to hell and spends eternity in hell, that fulfillment will never be satisfied. It will never be filled. They will always have an unfulfilled thirst and a longing for the relationship with the God they turned away from. And oh, if we could beg people to 
come to know Jesus? Have your children or grandchildren seen your tears that they might know Jesus? Have your friends or coworkers heard the quiver in your voice that you're concerned what would happen to them if they would step out into eternity? But this is what I know for me. When I was 16 years old, July 10th, 1985, on the Burkmar football field in Gwinnett County, I made sure of my salvation at that countywide revival. I took a knee on that grass and prayed with one of the deacons at my church to make sure that from that day forward, I knew that I was, I was all in. And I look back to that day, really, maybe months or a year or two before, but I look back to that day to say that's the point from that point forward, I know that I have life with Jesus. And I've never gotten over it. And I want to take as many people to heaven with me as possible. I don't want anyone, I don't want my worst enemy, I don't want anybody to go to hell. Because what we have in Jesus is life forever. He says, uh, John 14, 6, he the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. I, I have a, a relationship with Jesus. He, he takes care of me now and see, he secures me now and I have a hope for the future. Wow, I can't, I long to see him and be with him. I'm grateful for the time that I have now, but wow, life forever with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. And forever is a long time to be wrong. Oh, that we could encourage people to come to know Jesus. Um, with one person, share all six, okay? Go, everybody stand. One person, share all six. Just one person. All right, and as you're finishing that up, what an exciting thing for you to share with yourself regularly, a reminder of why we do what we do. And in this church or any other church, for everybody to learn a simple outline from preschoolers to senior adults, everybody can learn the same outline. I've helped several churches to walk through this to teach it to their whole church. So the, spe the church speaks with a fluency and a gospel with one voice. So when the pastor says, here's the gospel, or somebody says, here's the gospel, you don't have to wonder what their definition is. We're sharing the same definition. We're, we're working off the same page with, with the same heart. Now, some of you, you might feel awkward at going into this kind of conversation. In the next 30 days, here's my encouragement to you. Go to a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or a family member and say, hey, this pastor guy showed up at our church. He, he told us we needed to share this with somebody. Can I share this with you? Point it to me. I, I, I'm okay. 
And would you be my guinea pig? Would you mind if I'd, I'd share this outline with you? I, I said I would, I would share it with at least one person. Would you, would you mind? And share your story and share this, this outline. It, it, it really ought to be a part of us, G-O-S-P-E-L. It's done that way so you can remember it. Maybe you, you have a conversation with somebody, and you could just have the conversation like this. Uh, <clears throat> where are you in your spiritual journey? Have you come to a place that you have a relationship with God through his son Jesus, or is that something you're still trying to figure out? That gives you an easy opener to be able to ask somebody for a God conversation. And in that conversation, you could even ask them, um, if what you believe were not true, would you want to know it? Because if they say no, I mean, that just, I haven't had really anybody say no, but I've had some other people who somebody said no. And can you imagine the Holy Spirit using that idea and that concept? If what you believe were not true, would you want to know it? Imagine the Holy Spirit ringing that in somebody's ears for a while. Uh, what a great question. Uh, often my wife and I will, when we go out to lunch someplace or other places, we'll pray for somebody and say, hey, we're getting ready to eat our meal uh, and pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you? And we've had so many opportunities, just in small bites, huh, restaurant, small bites, sorry, that just came to mind, um, in small pieces, getting to, to encourage someone to follow Jesus. I heard a pastor one time say, and it just rings with me, it's, for the past several weeks, it's just rolled over and over in my head. Um, a guy named Tom Elliff made this statement, he said, uh, leave every conversation with heaven in view. Wow. Some of us are not public speakers, okay? Maybe your safe space is your own home. Maybe you invite people over to have dinner and have God conversations. Maybe one-on-one -on -one you meet someone for coffee uh, and have a God conversation. Maybe you're not for crowds. Maybe you're for individuals, and we need both kinds of people. Maybe you're not brash and over the top like I am. Why? You know, a sip of water out of a fire hydrant all the time. But maybe you have a soft way about you and you don't scare somebody off like I do sometimes, and, and you have a gentle conversation with someone. Um, th there's a risk. There's a cost. Uh, in my small group just recently, we were having the same conversation, and I was very transparent, basically saying, I've, I've done this in a lot of places, and I do it publicly a lot, but I don't know that I have taken enough time, even in my own, own neighborhood, to share and be intentional lately. I don't, I don't know that I have. What a place for us, you know? What a place for us if you claim to be a Christ follower. Christ followers are cross bearers, and cross bearers are missionaries. No matter what your age, God has called you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be a, he's called you to be a fisher of men. He's called you to, be, to open your mouth and share it. And so if it's, it's with the world of introverts and you do it in small groups or one-on-one -on -one and you do it in your own context, a safe way, great. I, I'm not good at that part, but, but the rest of us, do it in the way God made you and do it with the skills and talents and abilities God made you. All of us are not supposed to be up on the stage shouting, right? But all of us have the responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation and God has created each of us different. And what a joy that each of us in our own stuff can share the good news, can share the reason for the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. Oh, today, I encourage you to do this. And in the next 30 days, be willing to share this with someone. Preach it to yourself daily. Uh, and here's one. If you don't know Jesus, 
you're either watching on Facebook or you're in the room with us today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, you might believe in him, but you've never put your trust in him. I want to give you that chance today. You know, did you realize it's really simple? I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I believe that he died on a cross to take, to pay for my sin. And that when I put my trust in him alone, Jesus, I trust in you alone to save me and forgive me. Come help me live for you. If you do that today, then Jesus today will do that. He'll, it's a little weird and crazy, but he'll forgive you of your sin. The Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. You'll be adopted into God's family. You'll be not just his creation, you'll be his child. If you go from the, hey, I believe in God, to the, hey, I put my trust in him. So if you're interested in doing that today, I'll be standing right down here at the front after the service. I'd love to show you what the Bible says about that. Continue this conversation. For the rest of us, think about one person you know that you need to share this with, a grandchild, a grandparent, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend. Jesus is coming. It could be today. It could be 100 years from now, but I think it's close. And I don't want to miss out on opportunities to point people to their forever home with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, even being the extrovert, over-the-top person that I can be sometimes, God, sometimes I get nervous about sharing the good news with somebody. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be left out or whatever. There's a cost. Uh, But God, I pray as the Apostle Paul says and In Ephesians 6, 19, he says, pray for me that I have boldness. And I pray for all of us in this room that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and that we have boldness to to tell people of good news. Oh, God, help us not miss the opportunities. I've missed way too many. Help us the way you made us, the way you shaped us, to give people hope in Jesus. Father, I pray for this church, that you bless this church and bless... Uh, Just bless this place to reach men and women, boys and girls, with the good news, with the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.